0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.
1: Okay, uh, Jeremiah chapter 1. We'll focus just on, on the first chapter. and uh, The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. It's about three miles outside of Jerusalem. So I've only been to Israel once. Uh, I wish that I had tried to find the, the Jerusalem suburb that used to be Anathoth. It would be interesting. The word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, about 627 B.C. And through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the 11th year of Zedekiah, about 527 B.C. Um, That means that Jeremiah had a 40-year ministry. Zedekiah was the son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. Well, you'll notice in verse four, the word of the Lord came to me is a phrase that gets repeated in verse 11, the word of the Lord came to me. And in verse 13, the word of the Lord came to me again. The word of the Lord keeps coming to Jeremiah. And I guess this is something that I would stress uh, that I myself have, uh, this has been impressed upon me, that for Jeremiah, he would say that the word of the Lord defined him. And I think it's probably important for Christians to be defined by the word of the Lord. I mentioned in the sermon being exhausted watching The Crown and Hillbilly Elegy, two Netflix movies that are out. And I, I tend to not observe these movies um, as entertainment. I mean, I think I sit down, we sit down, to watch them as kind of a form of entertainment. But I get wrapped up into the story and to the dynamics and to the world view. And to how the situation is defined by, by our culture. And by our human nature. And the human condition. And uh, it's interesting because the crown is the, uh, the super elite of the world and hillbilly elegy is the super uh, hillbilly, um, Kentucky, redneck kind of culture. But both of them are working through the dynamics of human nature and the human condition and our depravity, our selfishness, our self-centeredness. So, a question to be raised is, what truly has defined you? Has the word of God defined you? Um, I think that when the Apostle Paul says that in Christ there is neither male nor female, slave or free man, uh, or Jew or Gentile, he's basically saying that the word of the Lord has defined us above uh, gender, above Uh, the sociology of our condition, above our racial identity, uh, above um, all these other cultural factors. The Lord has, uh, his word defines us. Uh, And that, I mean, that ought to raise questions in our mind as to are we, uh, like again, in the message I said that One of the pastors in a group of pastors that I get together with, we got together on our front porch um, to discuss the pandemic. Uh, Six churches were represented, six pastors. And uh, the prevailing sense of disappointment among the pastors that the word of God didn't seem to be shaping perspectives, but the culture seemed to be shaping perspectives that they were interpreting the word of God by cable news rather than cable news by the word of God. And so the question, when the word of the Lord came to me, and I think the word of the Lord kept coming to Jeremiah for 40 years, uh, I find him kind of a, a fascinating prophet because of all the prophets, we know much more about how he felt than we do on any of the prophets. Um, Isaiah, for example, Isaiah speaks of the lamb that was led to the slaughter. And then John the Baptist, kind of our last Old Testament prophet, spoke of, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then there's Jeremiah who felt like a lamb led to the slaughter, 20th chapter or so. He felt like a lamb. Um, And in some ways I see Jeremiah as kind of a parable of Jesus, living out something of the implications of the Incarnation uh, long 600 years before Jesus and kind of a Gethsemane mindset before we knew the Gethsemane mindset. Well, the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah and says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now there's four I statements there. I formed you. I knew you. I set you apart. I appointed you. I formed you in the womb. I created you. I knew you. I commended you. I set you apart. Uh, I consecrated you. I appointed you. I commissioned you. I mean, that's a lot. <laughs> I created you. I commended you. I uh, consecrated you. I commissioned you. So, do you feel that? Yourself? Personally? that those four dimensions are true of you and your self-definition, your self-understanding. I formed you, I knew you, I set you apart, I appointed you. I use this um, text in uh, pastoral theology at Beeson in order to underscore the priesthood of all believers. And students get right away the I formed, I knew, and I set you apart. Those three things, they sense a sharing with Jeremiah. But I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. They's, well, that, that's not true of me. Um, unique to Jeremiah is this prophetic ministry I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Get that. I get that. Um, But I push back on that because I think all four apply to all Christians. And my rationale for applying the fourth I appointed, the I statement, is the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Well, that sounds like a commissioning on the level of the appointment as a prophet to the nations. Uh, Now, granted, Jeremiah plays a unique role. We all play a unique role. A role that uh, no one else can play other than God's appointed role for us. Uh, and that uniqueness comes out in our relationships, that uniqueness comes out in the distinctive way that the Lord uses us. I formed you, I knew you, I set you apart, I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Any thought or response to that kind of thinking that you'd like to interject? I find it comforting. You find it comforting? Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. And therein, significance is something that's given to you. You don't have to make it. And I think that that's a critical thought in our culture where we kind of expect that we have to achieve something in order to feel significant. And yet in relationship with God, the word would teach us that we've got our significance
0: from the word go from our conception you know because I created you you know there I am right at the beginning you know and I'm, I'm showing you what to do I'm giving you permission to go and do it
1: well and you know in the 20th century with the uh, kind of the famous existentialist, of Sartre and Camus and people like that, they divided existence from essence. So, okay, you exist, but you're going to have to create your own essence, your own significance and importance by the free act of your act, um, by your freedom. The Bible doesn't know that separation between existence and essence. It unites those two. To exist is to, in your very essence, be an image bearer of God, which is remarkable. Um, which, Mariana, I wouldn't have thought of comfort, but that's so true. Um, well, you, uh, you said at the beginning, our,
0: our lives defined by the Word of God? Well, basically, here, God has defined Jeremiah's life, even when mm-hmm. he was created. So. Boundary lines are already there.
1: Mm -hmm. Which, if you take a parenting analogy, a child is going to feel significant and comforted and cared for raised in a home that provides that as opposed to a home that nobody's caring, nurturing, providing that. Um, and it really shows, doesn't it? A, ch- a child that uh, has been properly disciplined um, and, and cared for and secured, it's just going to play huge in their development. Um, so they're taught not how to be selfish, but they're taught how to uh, be concerned about others.
0: I'm not 100% sure. I think that this unity is fairly unique to the three Alehambric religions. Most of the other religions in the world, it is separate like you mentioned. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, I can't really
0: think of what maybe Sikhism.
1: I don't know much about Sikhism, but um the you know, the Eastern religion taoist kind of concern is that everything's one yeah. and you merge into that kind of monistic oneness um, you don't start there. yeah you don't start there you aim for that but but then you lose your distinctiveness and this this maintains that distinctiveness um like in a good marriage uh, the oneness of the marriage does not preclude the uniqueness of the individual in that marriage and I think that's true for our relationship with God to be totally sold out to God as it were is not to lose your distinctiveness your individuality but to find it to ground it to root it in what's important verse 6 um, Alas, Sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak, I'm too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say, I am too young. What should we make of Jeremiah's excuse? In thinking about that this week, I thought of since it's Advent, I think I was thinking this, <laughs> I thought of Mary and I thought of Zechariah, both of whom also responded with questions. Zechariah, when he was told by the angel that uh, he was going to have a son, John the Baptist, to introduce the one who was to come, he basically said, prove it. You know, show me, uh, Mary, when she is told of this tremendous miracle that's going to happen, she says, how can this be, since I don't know a man? I think there's a fundamental difference between questioning God's will, which I think Zachariah was doing, prove it, basically, and Mary basically saying, I'm not up for this, I'm inadequate to this, i I can't do it. Uh, and instead of questioning God, I think Mary's questioning herself. And that's how I, and I would love feedback on this, that's how I see Jeremiah's statement here. I do not know how to speak. I'm too young. He's not questioning God or that the word came to him or that the word formed, knew, set him apart, and commissioned him, he's questioning himself. And that's, uh, I mean, uh, uh, there's a difference there between questioning God and questioning oneself. Any thought there that you want to interject? I do not know how to speak. I am too young. It also makes us think of Paul's word to Timothy. Don't think of yourself as too young. Um,
0: it seems like whenever God approaches someone for service, um, none of them are too eager. <laughs> they're, they're all self-appreciating. So it just seems to be a pattern. It, yeah. But there's also the old saying where it's like God is not going to give you something that he knows you can't handle right like, no matter how oh no uh, no i can't do that god knows you can handle it. a lot of them just need some convincing
1: though yeah moses is classic yeah. on that um, you know
0: well, it wasn't necessarily an easier life oh no that receives God's prophetic call, you do you have to kind of go into it knowing that it may not be a going to be
1: fun as you thought. <laughs> yeah, I think in one sense Jeremiah had a miserable life. You know, he's he's told that he's going to be hated by everybody. And much he didn't of his know this word. No. He didn't much of this he didn't read the five He's gonna he's gonna sound like uh, you know, Because part of his message was, Babylon's going to come down, you're going to be judged, we're going to be judged by God for these uh, decades of apostasy, uh, and that would sound treasonous. Um, not unlike saying, well, China's going to take us over. Um, that, would sound, <laughs> that wouldn't would go over very well. Uh, Yeah, the, the response of the Lord to Jeremiah's uh, excuse or uh, yeah, it seems light objection. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you and to say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. So he's going to need rescuing, uh, and he's going to be placed in a position that require, that would naturally lead to fear. Um, but he's reminded here that the Lord will be with him. It's a great kind of mission statement. You've got to go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. I'll rescue you, declares the Lord. And in some respects, that's all that Jeremiah got for 40-plus years of becoming um, despised by many of his countrymen, by many Israelites. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth. And this is different from, you know, the Isaiah in the sixth chapter, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and remember... A burning coal is brought by a seraph to touch his lips. That seems to be an image of atonement, uh, of redemption, of forgiveness of sins on Isaiah's part. But this seems to be more of a a symbol of the revelation of God coming to Jeremiah and that what he said would be the word of God. I put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down. Interesting said to a person who had no position. He did not have a priestly position. He did not have a political position. In a way, he had no platform from which to operate, which is so important, it seems, in our own day. Uh, To destroy, to overthrow, to build, and to plant. All he had was, all he had was the word. That's all. No following, uh, no platform, no establishment, no institution. Just the word of God, and from that word, the Lord was going to do all that. Now, if you jump to verse 17, I'll save the the message uh, for later. Verse 17: Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them, or I will terrify you before them. I mean, that's terrified. (laughs) Don't be terrified, but I'll terrify you before them. Uh, There's I'm sure you've thought of this before. There's two kinds of weakness. There's the weakness that begs for pity. And there's the weakness that understands one's frailty and one's own um, sense of dependence upon God. Uh, I think Jeremiah is characterized not by the weakness that seeks pity, but by the weakness that understands complete dependence upon the Lord. Verse 18, Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. A very interesting call. Um, I believe we're all equally called of God. Um, As I said before, this is a theme in my pastoral theology, that we're called to salvation, service, sacrifice, and simplicity. We're all called. Um, I think it's important for pastors to realize that they are not more called and that there is not a special call. A call is special in that God has called each and every one of us. And yes, I think there's a personal, practical way that that call gets worked out in Wolfgang's life, in my life. But nobody's more called than anyone else. And I think when that fact, so that, uh, I like Eugene Peterson's take on Jeremiah. This is not so much the life of a prophet. It's the life of a person in God. And what we have in Jeremiah, especially with sort of the revelation of his own feelings so much and, and how he's reacting to the word, uh, which is unlike the other prophets. Um, he's unique in that. He gets, gives us a feeling of the whole psychology of obedience and living into the call of God, uh, which I think is very important. Any comments you'd like to mention?
0: My translation uh, uses, instead of terrified, what said. Uh, it says, do not break down the Hmm. Do you think that is an emotional breakdown or a, I mean, or I will break you before them?
1: Huh? Well, breakdown does kind of imply that sort of uh, emotional. emotional nervous breakdown. Um,
0: the first time I read this, I thought, wow, the mother command. Uh, is biblical. If you don't stop crying, I'll give you something to cry about. But, <laughs> <laughs> but that's what it says. Yeah.
1: You have a proof text now. <laughs> uh, well, And that's the weakness that seeks pity rather than the weakness that underscores dependence. Well, it,
0: it actually fits because generally children you know when they're having that breakdown and connection it is the oh i can't have this i'm not good enough for that whatever and then it's like yes you are and if you don't suck it up i will give you something to be afraid of
1: well we all have to control our emotions and then focus our attention Well, let's just finish up on what the word was that came to Jeremiah that God said, you've got to be strong. Verse 11, the word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. Now, again, the Bible speaks in symbol and, and image. The first tree to bud in the spring was usually the almond tree which would lead us to conclude that what was being revealed to Jeremiah was more immediate. It was coming. The Lord said to me, You have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. And the word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? I see a pot that's boiling, I answered, and it's tilting toward us from the north. The Lord said to me, From the north, disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. That's Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. I'm about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdoms, declares the Lord. It's going to be Babylon. It's going to be Assyria. It's going to be Persia. It's going to be all of them sooner or later in the 70-year exile. Their kings will come and set up their thrones at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. They will come against all her surrounding walls and against all the towns of Judah. I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me, in burning incense to other gods, and in worshiping what their hands have made. And I wouldn't think that we would exclude ourselves from that description, speaking culturally, because... In our own culture, I think we do worship the gods we've made, the gods and uh, the whole range of the pantheon of American gods. Um, and so this, this prophecy does not escape the people of God today um, because we have we're faced with that same temptation of burning incense to other gods and in worshiping what their hands have made. Well, I think we'll end it there. It's 10 to 11. And, uh, next week, if, if you so happen to come, <laughs> we will be discussing Jeremiah's lament. It's Jeremiah's call today, Jeremiah's lament, and then, uh, brain freeze, my third thing. Oh my. Jeremiah's hope. Yeah. So the call, lament, and hope. And let's pray for me that my brain works for a second (laughs) service. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's kind of thinking on multiple levels here. Uh, I'll close our time with prayer. Lord God, we do give you thanks and praise for your goodness to us. I thank you for this profile of personhood that Jeremiah represents to us. And may we take comfort in the fact that you are defining our lives and we're held secure in that. And we pray that it would lead to the kind of confidence that humility produces of a real dependence on your mercy and grace. Uh, pray for Wolfgang. I pray for complete recovery from COVID, for strength, uh, for his breathing to be back to uh, normal. Uh, pray for Mary Ann and her extended family and for your protection and watch care over her and for your blessing. Uh, We give ourselves to you, Lord God. We thank you. Pray for the worship that's about to take place, uh, that you might be honored in it. Uh, We ask this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.
0: You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at
1: adventbirmingham.org.